Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you again on a Thursday night, and Lord, we're thankful that we can have a history, and Lord, that we can have hope of the future, that uh, our freedoms uh, as individuals are secure to meet here and assemble in your name. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we examine your word, that you will do the work that you seek to do in our hearts and lives. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We have gone through the book of Philippians uh, in the big picture, and uh, now we're going to go back and just pick up a few specific passages. I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to uh, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, and uh, this is certainly an incredible thought that's in the Bible, one that's uh, absolutely amazing and, and has a lot of answers for different problems uh, that, that we face. Verse 5 just simply says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so tonight I'd like us to look at the mind of Christ. Now, your mind is where the thinking goes on. And uh, uh, I think it was one of my kids was saying, now, uh, uh, Dad, how much of your brain do you use? And I said, well, I think uh, on an average it's a medical thing that we use about 10% uh, of our brain. The rest of it is uh, storage space, basically. Uh, and and uh, we, we do understand by... Uh, listening to the radio, and uh, if you've ever heard of Paul Harvey's dumb criminal stories, they are absolutely hilarious. There are people out there that use far less, uh, far, far less than 10% of their active mental capacity. And uh, we would pray that we would not be of that number here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Amen. And, and Paul, as he is reaching out to the Philippians here, and remember the overall... Uh, uh, context of this passage, he wasn't correcting a lot of things in the Philippian church as he was in other letters to other churches. But he was telling them, listen, you need to let this mind be in you. Now, the idea of letting someone uh, is is allowing this, is putting it in place. There's a verse in Proverbs that uh, says that contention is like one that letteth out water. You turn on the faucet. How many of you have ever turned on a faucet and found out it was high pressure? And I mean water just goes... Now, try to get it back in the faucet. Uh, can't do it. Uh, you let out the water, you're not putting it back. And the, the idea here is to let this mind be in you. You've got to work at this. You've got to open uh, the faucet, we might say. You've got to put it there. But to actually have the mind of Christ. I mean, how many horror movies are made about mind control? and hypnosis and all of those things. And, and praise God, uh, most of that stuff just exists in horror movies and things like that. Uh, no one 
can control your mind except you. You know, they, uh, I don't know if you've seen the new set of ads. It's one, one drink too many and it shows some guy that got in a fist fight and some lady that ran over somebody and um, different things like that. And we say, well, it was, it was the alcohol or the drugs that were controlling. Well, who put them in you? Hello? Did somebody strap you down to a board and pour it down your throat? Don't think so. Most of the time, people pay good money for that kind of foolishness. And then they want to blame it on the drugs or the alcohol or whatever may have been. But the Bible tells us that we can have this mind. This is something that we should be involved in. It says, let this mind be in you. That tells us that the mind of Christ is there. That it is available, but it doesn't always operate properly. And so, if we're going to do this, first of all, let's examine the mind of Christ. And that's exactly what Paul does in the following verses. He says, "...who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant." And was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is the mind of Christ. This is the mind that was in Christ. You will never find Jesus denigrating himself or downplaying his deity as God. Never once did Jesus diminish. Now, uh, theologians like to ask all kinds of difficult questions. If Jesus was truly God, how come everyone that saw him didn't evaporate because no man can look on God? And, and uh, it was uh, the Methodists that came up with the idea of the kenosis theory where uh, Jesus emptied himself of all of his divine attributes so that he could appear to men as man. And uh, if Jesus emptied himself of his attributes, the question then would be, is he still God? No. Because if he's not omnipresent, if he is not holy, if he is not uh, all of the things that God is, then you cannot be God. So what did Jesus do? Uh, you, you might call me nitpicking or something, but the word I like to do was Jesus veiled his glory. He covered it so that we could see him as a man. He did not suspend uh, anything, and, and we do need to understand Genesis 1. God said, let us create man in our image. In the likeness of God created he man, male and female created he them. In the image of God, and and we've gone over this many times, how the image of God is not reflected in size, color, uh, other attributes. It's reflected in the fact that you're not just an animal. You have a body, Jesus. You have a soul, God the Father. 
And when we were originally created, we were created with the Spirit. That's how we were created, in the image of God. And in Genesis chapter 9, as Moses, uh, Moses, yes, I love to put Moses on the ark. As Noah got off the ark in Genesis chapter 9, God explained to him, he established what we call human government. He said, if man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Society has a responsibility to remove murderers. That's what, that's what, uh, that is the primary usage of government, is to protect the society from threats within and without. And if we could ever just get our government to limit itself to the biblical scope of government, uh, we could have senators and congressmen that only need to be there a couple weeks a year. Wouldn't that be wonderful? A government only has uh, two or three months to mess up your life. That, uh, that would be incredible. Not going to happen. Don't, don't get your hopes up. But uh, anyway, we're, we're back here and in Second Corinthians 4 and verse 4. It says, Christ is the image of God. So, here we have the mind of Christ. We have Jesus, who is being in the form of God. He is God in the flesh, God incarnate. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 3. And this is a very ignored verse in your Bible. Of course, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And, and that is certainly the entire Scriptures in, in one summary form. But uh, let's uh, look at verse 12. He's, he's uh, finishing here with Nicodemus. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, verse 13, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man. Now, what's that last phrase there say? Which is in heaven. That's present tense. Jesus said, while I'm standing in front of you right here talking to you, I am also in heaven right now. Jesus never downplayed his deity or his godliness. His godness would probably be a better way to put that. And in uh, John chapter 8, he, he told the Pharisees, he said, I come from my Father whom ye say is your God. I mean, how could he make it any clearer? In fact, uh, they said, you're, you're a young man and you're not even 50 years old yet and you've seen Abraham and Jesus answered them before Abraham was. I am. And immediately they took up stones to throw at him. Jesus claimed to be God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God because he is God. Always was. And Always is and always will be is. Because God is present tense. He cannot be anything else. Past, present, and future. You want to have something to uh, make your mind think about. Past, 
present and future are all present tense to God. Now that, yeah, it's good to think about things like that every once in a while and realize that God is just a little bigger than we are. Amen? When Jesus was on trial, the high priest finally exasperated. He couldn't get any collusion between all of his witnesses and, and, uh, and uh, couldn't obstruct justice and uh, some terms from modern day usage here. He couldn't get it done. And so finally he looks to Jesus and says, Are you the Christ? And Jesus said, I am. And that's what they convicted him of. And so Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. We, we have a, a division here, and I just want to touch on this, of quote-unquote Christianity where... Uh, they almost hate themselves and who they are. And they're always, well, I'm just nobody. And uh, I'm just... That's not Bible. False humility is still pride. Jesus was never falsely proud. He never... Well, it really wasn't that good. Oh, yes, that was the best. Yeah, tell me more. You know, uh, the old Nashville guys' country music. Well, we only have one song tonight, so we'll just do it first. And, and of course, they'd been practicing all day. They'd been practicing their whole life to do this one song at Nashville. Don't you believe them a minute that they didn't practice? And, And so, that kind of stuff was not... Jesus, the mind of Christ, does away with that foolishness. You see, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But what does the next passage tell us? But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Years ago, I remember receiving a challenge from uh, one of the local imams. The mosque were just coming into a story, and he wanted to do a debate. And uh, I thought about that for a minute and uh, wisely called another pastor friend here. And he says, oh, man, don't do it. Let me tell you what happens. He said, there's only so many seats, and two hours before the debate comes, the mosque men come and fill every seat in the house, so there's no seats available, and you'll be there by yourself. And I said, you know what, that's not much of a debate. And he began, he had actually fallen prey to this thing, and uh, I believe, or at least partially so, and he, he said one of the questions that they ask is, did Mary change God's diaper Yeah, she did. Because he humbled himself and took upon him the form of a servant. He made himself of no reputation. Do you know how many problems that would solve? In life and in general? If we would take that mind of Christ and start stop worrying about what our job and what our part and what our influence and what our this and that and me and my and mine, 
Jesus had a job to do. And he did it. He, if Jesus wanted people to adore him, all he would have had to do is feed the 5,000 every day. He would have had the entire nation of Israel standing there waiting for the disciples to pass out the baskets every morning and every night. He could have had, uh, he could have had the Roman soldiers lining up. They would have said, hey, we'll get in on this thing. Free food, that's not a bad deal. Read John chapter 6. Jesus said, listen, you're only seeking me because of the free food. He said, if you want the real truth, it's a spiritual truth. Not a physical one. Jesus made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, I wish we had time tonight, but we don't... uh, Spend some time reading about Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. This was not a simple choice. God wanted us to understand some things. There was three hours of extreme agony the night Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested. It wasn't because Jesus was afraid of the cross. That's the reason he came. It wasn't... Uh, I've heard I heard a preacher one time. I, I love love him in the in the ministry. He's with the Lord now, and and uh, he said Jesus was afraid that he was going to die before the cross. That's why he was praying in the garden. Uh, I don't I don't think so. He was praying in the garden so you and I could get just this much of a glimpse. of how great a work our salvation took. God spoke, and everything that now is out of nothing became. But he prayed the same words for three hours in the garden and put himself in an agony that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, Luke the physician tells us. So he could be obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is the mind of Christ. It, if there was one part of his being that was not in total obedience to God, there was an opportunity for the cross not to be what it should be. And Jesus wanted to show us that it, it took a humbling, but that humbling led to obedience. And that obedience took him to the cross. This is the mind of Christ. And if we want to just finish it out, the next verse is, Wherefore God has also, hath, also hath highly exalted him, Jesus let the exaltation up to God. So often we we worry about what our part is going to be or who we are. And that we just need to realize 
That's not the mind of Christ. Now, this was in the context of Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Let's go back here. It says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come to see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit. Now, what's that next phrase? With one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul said, listen, this is what I want. I want one spirit. And, of course, that spirit is not capitalized. That's not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the human spirit united by exposure to the Holy Spirit. One mind, that, that we are thinking alike, that, that we do not have. You know, people accuse uh, uh, Christians oftentimes of, of the mind-numb robots, of always, you know, you just follow the guru, you know. That's what the world does. If you ever want an example, just go to a skateboard park. I mean, it's all different colors, but it's all the same thing. Uh, all kinds of different moves, but it's, it is so much repetition, it's sickening. Go to a rock concert. What's everybody doing? Oh, man. I've got 14 piercings on this side and 10 on this side. And the next one is I got 14 here and I got three in my nose. I mean... Uh, but it's exactly the same thing with just a little bit of a variety to it. When's the last time you saw anything really different? Probably last time you came to church, because that's really different now, isn't it? You're not going to find what's here out there. It, we don't walk in lockstep because you're being... Uh, mesmerized or uh, uh, hypnotized or any of those other things, the Bible says we work together because we have the same spirit and we have the same mind and we have the same goal, getting the gospel to go forward. And Paul is telling them, if you want this to happen, you're going to have to get this thing called the mind of Christ. You're going to have to allow that to be in you because that is the solution. Now, there's a couple other passages I want us to look at. Let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And when you have a subject like this, it's often best to see what other scriptures have to say when it, where it is used. And we have two Primarily what we call parallel passages here that deal with the mind of Christ. Verse 16, let's read it and then pick up the context here. It says, And I, brethren, I mean, sorry, verse 16 of chapter 2, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, Paul's telling the Corinthians, wait a minute. Who, who has given counsel to the Lord? Who has instructed the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, you turn on TVN, they'll give you specific directions on how to instruct the Lord to give you a brand new car and money in your bank and all of these kinds of things. That's exactly what Paul is preaching against in this passage. Let's, let's take the context. There were 
divisions in the church. There were people in the church that did not have the mind of Christ because they were fighting other people and other things in the church. They had their own ideas. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. I'm of Paul. And Paul says in verse 10 uh, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Paul said, listen, this is where we want to be, but it's not there. You go to chapter 2 and and start in verse 1. Look at verse 5. It says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, there, this disagreement to the people that they were following in the Corinthian church was leading to a disagreement among different little groups of people in the church, and the necessary next step was a disagreement on how faith should work in the lives of individual believers. You see, the mind of Christ allowed God the Father to set the priorities of his life. Are we together with that? What was important was determined by the Father. What was to be done was determined by the Father. What was going on in the Corinthian church was, well, Peter, he, he said this was important. Well, I, I'm not following Peter. I'm following Apollos. He, and they actually got into a disagreement on how faith should work in the church. And we have Paul coming down here, and he is explaining... We use this passage often to help us understand that a natural man cannot understand the things of God. Only a spiritual man can understand the things of God. And the only way you're spiritual is when the Holy Spirit works in your life. But how do you know if the Holy Spirit is working in your life? When your life is in agreement with what's in this book. And that agreement will be manifest in an agreement and a unity with other people in your church where you're serving. And if it's not there, then it's not the spirit that's working. It is a natural man that is working. No matter how good you feel about it or how convinced you are right, it's wrong. And that's what Paul means by saying, we, we don't have the mind of Christ to instruct him. We have the mind of Christ that brings us into unity and agreement and walking and working together without dissension. If that's not happening, it's not the mind of Christ. It's not the working of the Holy Spirit. It is the working of the natural man, it is the antithesis of what is supposed to be going on. Here is the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ in the fact that the spiritual man, look at verse 15, uh, 14 with me. 
I'm sorry. Um, yes, verse 15. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Here's what Paul was saying in this passage. He's saying, you have dissension in the Corinthian church. Everybody's thinking their own thoughts and they, they develop, they get little people to follow them and to agree with their own thoughts and that is not what church is supposed to be about. Just didn't. You see, it's the natural man that receiveth not the things of the Spirit, but when the spiritual man receives the things from the Spirit, guess what? He judges things and is judged of no man because he's in agreement with the Holy Spirit of God and Jesus Christ. And when there is conflict there, then we know that something is wrong. Can we say amen to that? This is what Paul was talking about, being in the mind of Christ. And not everybody has the mind of Christ. We learn in Philippians that you've got to let that mind be in you you can only have that mind, as we've looked here in 1 Corinthians, if you are a spiritual person under the influence and direction of the Holy Spirit. And that's not based on what you feel. That's based on how you live. You find yourself in conflict with people serving Christ. In your church, you better understand something. Either everybody else is wrong or you are wrong. And that is where it is. You can't go anywhere else. And the mind of Christ is that solution. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4, if we would. 1 Peter chapter 4. And this is the other parallel passage here as Peter is... trying to help Christians understand. And, of course, we believe that our Bible is without conflict, and there is no conflict between Peter's teaching and Paul's. Verse 1 of chapter 4, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same what? Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. And one of the commentators I read said, This is not the word for light armor. This is the word for heavy armor. Man, I'm trying to figure out where in the world he got that out of the Greek. Uh, uh, The difference between light armor and heavy armor. uh, It's get ready for battle is simply what it means. Is to arm yourself. What are we supposed to arm ourselves with? The same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he... No longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excessive riot, speaking evil of you. Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Now, Peter is saying, listen, I want you to arm yourselves with this mind that is in the, that was in Christ. Uh, then a very misunderstood, often phrase, for he that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. 
the simplest understanding of that passage, though the words are a little difficult, is Christ suffered in the flesh to pay the price for our sins. You see, the mind of Christ was, why did Jesus suffer on the cross for us? Number one, we couldn't do it ourselves. Number two, because our sins separate us from God. Amen? Jesus died to reconcile us to God. And if we will understand something here, Christ's suffering on the cross was a result of our sins against God. Christ, let's go back to Philippians, He humbled Himself and He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Why? So that we could be set free from our sin. This was the mind of Christ. If we had the mind of Christ... We wouldn't be looking to get our way. We'd be looking to get God's way. Amen? We wouldn't be looking to justify ourselves or to tell everyone why we're correct or why we're right. We want to be able to explain to the world in which we live why God is right. The world loves debaters. They love to draw you into an argument that finally comes tit for tat. You know, just this point, this point, this point, this point. You know what? You never can win those arguments. But I'll tell you what you can win. And listen, I'm I'm not interested in the differences between your church and my church. Here's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the fact that Jesus alone died to pay the price for my sins. First thing they're going to say, my church doesn't teach that. Well, we're not interested in your church. We're interested in Jesus because he's the only payment. You see, it's his suffering that set me free from sin. And if I will have this mind in me, and, and, and we have to be careful because everything good thing in the Bible, man has ruined. He's perverted. Um, I think it's Dole Lawson that sings this song, Every time you sin another sin, you, uh, you uh, uh, drive another nail in the cross or swing the hammer again. And, and, and that's, that's not biblically correct at all. Jesus already finished suffering for our sins. What we need to do is we need to understand, we need to have, we need to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. You know, that thing that is troubling you, would it be such a trouble to you if you looked at it as Jesus looked at it? It was another sin to suffer for on the cross. You see, we're not going to solve the problem by adding another sin to it. That's the devil's greatest temptation. You did that to me? Well, I'm going to... Well, wait a minute. 
Let's have the mind, let's arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. His suffering paid the price for our sins. That's why Jesus willingly suffered on the cross. And that's what Peter's trying to say here in very few words, that he that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That doesn't mean just because you've suffered in the flesh uh, that you've stopped sinning. Uh, No, I mean, go to Rikers Island if you want. I mean, every one of those poor people on that island are suffering from uh, all kinds of things. In fact, it's so bad now our governor's talking about closing the place down and starting over somewhere else. He doesn't even think he can solve all the problems. Uh, But let me tell you, it's not getting better on Rikers because they're suffering and it's only getting worse. But Jesus' suffering put an end to all sin for all time. Can we say amen to that? And if I'll arm myself with the mind of Christ, it will help me have victory over myself and my sin and the conflicts in my life because I begin to realize they're not near as important as I think they are. It was just another thing Jesus suffered for on the cross. Therefore, I will gladly lay that thing aside that I may serve Christ. See, this is the mind of Christ. He knew who he is. God in the flesh. Never once did Jesus diminish this truth in any shape or fashion. Sometimes we, we, we think that we're accomplishing something when we use uh, uh, self-deprecation or make ourselves look smaller or, or downplay ourselves. Listen, you don't get any points with God because you say mean things about yourself. That is not Bible. That's asceticism, if you want to know the type of religion that is. Uh, its ultimate form was held in the monasteries and nunneries where people would starve themselves and beat themselves and do all kinds of things, uh, walk miles on their knees or uh, without their shoes on in the middle of winter trying to please God. That, that doesn't work. God is not interested in you. He's interested in himself. And if you'll get interested in him, it'll solve the problems. It'll solve the conflicts. You see, even though Jesus knew who he is, he still humbled himself. He didn't go to the cross screaming, but you don't know who I am. He didn't care. Other than to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because he knew he had to go to the cross. He had to suffer so we could. This was the mind of Christ. He humbled himself. His humility made him obedient. It made him obedient to the prophecy, to the words of God, to God's direction in his life. And we need to apply this truth to our lives if we're going to have the mind of Christ in us. Uh, Number one, 
I am a child of God. I've been brought into His family by adoption. I don't ever, by, uh, by God's grace, I try never when someone, well, we're all the children of God. No, we're not all the children of God. Only those that are born into His family are His children. Well, nobody can know that. Well, the Bible says you can know that. These things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know. Don't degradate your relationship with God in an attempt to reach someone else with the gospel. That's not Bible. We're not the same. If you are here tonight and you are born again, you are different than the world. But I don't go around with a sandwich board. I'm going to heaven and you're not. Uh, that doesn't help the situation. Christ humbled himself. Amen? Because my life is no longer mine. It belongs to Jesus. That's the mind of Christ. Jesus did not... If you want to know how much he did not want to die on the cross, again, study the three hours in Gethsemane. As a human being, he, he did, as God, he did not want to bear our sins, to drink that cup. But as God, he knew he was the only one who could. And so he did. His life was not his own. I remember several years ago, I had a young man come to him and he was complaining about his father and how that he couldn't get along with him and his father didn't really understand him and all of this. And I said, no, just a minute. I said, let's stop and think about this. If, you, if your father were to live to be 100, how long is that? And he said, well, that'd probably be less than 20 years. I said, is he going to live to be 100? He said, probably not. And I said, how old are you? And at that time, he was in his 20s, I think. I said, why don't you just... Give your dad the benefit of the doubt and put up with him for the next 15, 20 years and then he'll be gone. You can do whatever you want. But at least you'll get along with him for these next few years. Could you do that? Would you, would you be willing to stop telling your dad how to accept you and just let your dad be who he is? You're not going to change him. I don't know if he did it or not. But I'd offer the same advice tonight. If you don't like where you are in your relationship with God, well, would you mind? Would it be asking too much of you? And I'm sorry, a little sarcasm here. For you to surrender who and what you are trying to accomplish to get along with God? Because you're only going to be here. If you live a hundred years, what is that compared to eternity? You see, this was the mind that was in Christ Jesus. There was nothing, no insults, no attempts at stoning him, which happened several times, no angry, no, no malice in his direction that was going to hinder Jesus from just being obedient to what the Father said, of being in agreement with the Word of God. Why, why can't we, if we want the mind of Christ... That mind of Christ 
should bring unity in the fellowship of our local church and bring us into agreement with one another and have us walking forward together. And if it's not, then the mind of Christ is not functioning as it should. It's just that simple. And the easiest thing for us to do in our heart is say it's someone else's fault. Well, how about you get your fault straightened out first and you'll find out that everybody else's isn't near as serious as it used to be. That's, that's what the Bible's talking about here. And we have to understand that this is going to give us power over our flesh and over our desires as we suppress them by the mind of Christ. That's why Peter said, arm yourselves. If you want to do battle with the flesh, arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. And it was Jesus who promised that even a cup of cold water If it was given in his name to his servants, there would be no way you're going to lose your reward. I think you can trust God with the place that you will have in eternity, your quote-unquote exaltation. And, of course, if we understand that correctly, the only exaltation that will be in heaven is of what Jesus did in our lives. And if Jesus actually did it, the mind of Christ has to be functioning. And if it is, all of a sudden we're going to find ourselves strangely in agreement. Over the years, once in a while, running, well, somebody needs to be the devil's advocate. And my statement has always been the same. He has all the advocates he needs. How about you being the Lord's advocate? Just get on board and, and let's follow him together. That's what church is about. That's the mind of Christ. That's what Paul was telling these Philippians. If they would just have this mind, let this mind be in you. It's what's going to solve a lot of problems. It's going to allow you to enjoy the journey. And it's going to manifest itself in taking the burden off of your shoulders of self-determination. You let the Lord determine where He wants you and what He wants you to do and how He wants you to do it. Because if you could actually get the mind of Christ operating in you, that means you don't have to think about it anymore now, doesn't it? And if you're not thinking about it, then you can trust the Lord with it. And you know, that's where we need to be, isn't it? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand this passage, this thought, this understanding, this truth that's in the Bible, that that actually we can allow the mind of Christ to control us and to think for us and to modify our life's behavior and bring us into agreement where we're supposed to be. We ask, Lord, that as individuals, we would make this commitment. Lord, this was not a rebuke to the Philippian church. It was a challenge. And Lord, I pray that 
we would, as Open Door Bible Baptist Church in New York City here and Astoria, many centuries removed from the Philippian church in Macedonia, that we would take that same challenge. To let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us that we may bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, maybe you'd like to add a few of your own right there at your seat. Or come forward. The altar's open.